If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you pray with me? Father, we praise you this evening. As we sang earlier, we stand here alive because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we know that we have eternal life with you, a God who loves us, God who gave your only son to die for us and who has defeated our sin and disobedience and given us new life in you. Father, we thank you for this weekend. We thank you for this wonderful place for Frontier Camp. We thank you for the wonderful weather and the uh, opportunity that we have to study your word, to get to know one another. Um, Father, we thank you for so many of the blessings that you give us. And we pray that uh, as the weekend goes on, that you would move in our hearts and our minds to just remove the distractions from uh, life back in College Station. Father, we pray that we would be able to focus on you and on one another this weekend. Uh, We pray that um, you would remove our doubts and our fears and our worries. Lord, instead, allow us to trust you, that you will take care of us. You will take care of the things we need to do. But let us in this time focus on your word. Pray that we would understand it. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts to really believe it and then uh, empower us as we leave here to obey, to have the kinds of relationships that please you and reflect Jesus Christ. We love you, God. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ran across an article this week that was about a study done earlier this year. And the study talked about how people who have lots of Facebook friends are more stressed than people who don't. It's kind of an interesting article. And it talked about like uh, how, people, how people feel about Facebook if they have a whole lot of friends. So I uh, said people feel a little bit anxious, like they're always missing something. Maybe you felt that way. You need to check in. Maybe somebody got a puppy and you missed it, right? Uh, maybe you need to write happy birthday, bro, on a few walls, you know, or something like that. And uh, you're freaked out because you're going to miss something that's happened. Uh, talked about how people feel guilty uh, when they either reject a friend request or unfriend a person, right? And I can understand that if you've ever unfriended somebody, it feels a little bit, you feel guilty, right? Like you're doing something wrong. And probably because in real life, if you walked up to somebody and you said, unfriend, right? And then you walked away, uh, you would feel guilty, right? You should feel a little guilty about that. Uh, It talked about how people feel anxious and overwhelmed by it. It just was, it was an interesting study. uh, And it just kind of got me to thinking this concept of relationships in general. I wonder if that's not just on Facebook and Twitter that we feel a little bit overwhelmed with relationships, but uh, if that's our whole life. I I did not have Facebook when I was in college, and yet I still found plenty of ways to feel stressed out or overwhelmed about relationships. And my guess is that you do too. Uh, Maybe that uh, you have a roommate who is difficult 
Uh, you don't know how to communicate with him or her, and that causes you friction or frustration. It may be that uh, you have uh, an interest in somebody of the opposite sex, and that is causing you a great deal of angst, and you stay up late nights thinking about it, talking about it, analyzing every detail of it, and you're no closer to a resolution to the problem. Maybe that it's a family situation. Uh, you've got troubles with your parents or a sibling uh, that have caused you a great deal of pain and difficulty, and, and maybe you feel stressed and overwhelmed in the relationships in your life. Um, I've been there and felt that way a number of times in the relationships in my life. And I think a lot of times when we feel that way, one of the reasons is uh, because we don't really understand and apply the reason we have relationships in the first place. In other words, I think that a lot of the time when we are stressed or frustrated with relationships is because we have expectations and beliefs about what relationships should be and what they should provide for our lives that are uh, not biblical. They're not what the scripture says our relationships really are for. And so we come to the table in a relationship, for example, a dating relationship, and uh, we have all of these expectations we place out on the table. And the problem is that the other person can't meet them. And so it creates anxiety and fear and anger and pride and selfishness and all of these problems that we face in relationships. So what we really want to do throughout the course of this weekend is we want to look at what does the scripture say about uh, our relationships with other people. We are going to talk about dating. We are going to talk about sex. That is going to be part of it. But really what we want to do is cast this whole thing in the light of what does the scripture say about who we are as people who relate to other people? If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, when he first created Adam, everything was good. Even Adam was good. But the one thing that was not good was for him to be alone, right? And so when he created Eve, it was so that Adam could have what God calls a helper. Really a better word for that is a companion. And, and that is true in romantic relationships. It's not good to be alone, but it's also true just in our lives. We are not made to live alone, to be isolated. We're made for relationships. And so we want to look this week at what does the Bible have to say about them? I'm going to start tonight with just kind of a broad overview. And where we're going to go is this passage we read just a few minutes ago, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, many of you have heard this, this passage since you were kids. You might have it uh, on a little plaque on the wall somewhere, right? It might be written down somewhere in a little book and you've thought about this. Uh, maybe some of you girls want to make little flyers with this at your wedding, right? And you've dreamed of that and you're going to hand it out. So you've heard this passage before, but we're going to talk about what does this passage say about who we are as relational people, because it's not just about romantic love. This is actually about how we as human beings can fully reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And we cannot reflect the character of Jesus Christ apart from loving other people. Jesus says at John 13, 35, they will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. So we can't fully be disciples in the way that God intends us to be, unless we love other people. All right, so that's what we're going to look at from this passage. Uh, What is it that we need to know? What is it that we need to do in our relationships to have relationships that honor Jesus? All right, the first thing I see in this passage is this, that we need relationships. All right, bottom line is we need them. 1 Corinthians 13, let me read verses 1 through 3 again. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, 
And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. In other words, everything I can do, I, I could do great things, right? I can serve. I can be a great leader. I can be a great teacher. I can be a prophet. I can even give everything I have to poor people, right? That sounds like a good thing to do. I can do all of that stuff. But if I don't have relationships of love with other people, uh, Paul says that it, it profits me nothing. I might as well go home. I find that interesting because I do think often in our culture, we convince ourselves that all I need is just me and Jesus, right? It's just me and Jesus. What's interesting is this, that uh, although ultimately Jesus provides everything we need for eternal life, he provides everything we need to be able to follow him, he provides everything that we need. The reality is that God made us, interestingly, to need other people. I cannot fully pursue Jesus if I just say, I'm going to go away into my room, isolate myself, and just follow Jesus. And uh, some of you, if you've studied church history at all, you know there actually was a movement uh, back in the first about four or five centuries of the early church called hermitism. And uh, there were people that said, if I'm around other people, I really can't follow Jesus. And so uh, I'm just not gonna be around other people. And so they would pull away. There's uh, one real famous guy, his name was Simeon the Stylites. He was a guy that decided I need to get away from other people and I need to go and be all by myself. So he moved to kind of a, 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 a what do you call it, where monks live? Uh, a con, not a convent. Monastery, you guys got it. All right, he moved to a monastery, right? That was not isolated enough for him because there were too many other people around. So he tried to move out to the desert and people kept following him out there. So what this guy finally did was he built himself a 15 meter high pillar, right? That's about 40 feet tall. And uh, he climbed up to the top of it and there he sat for 39 years. Uh, for the rest of his life, he sat atop this pillar and little boys would climb up and feed him food, uh, but he would not come down because he felt the only way he could worship God was if he was absolutely alone. Uh, there's another guy, his name was Arsenius. He was an early, they call him one of the desert fathers. I just wanna share a little bit with you about Arsenius. Uh, this was a guy that he also lived in a monastery for several years and then uh, the monastery burned down. So the last 15 years of his life, he lived out in the desert all by himself, wouldn't let anybody come to see him. And uh, he was famous for this. He would not talk to people. In fact, one time the archbishop Theophilus came to see him from Rome to introduce himself and to hear a wise word from this famous hermit. Arsenius didn't say anything to Theophilus. And finally he said, uh, will you do what I tell you? The archbishop nodded his assent. Arsenius went on, if you hear that Arsenius is at some place, don't go there. That was what he said. Uh, there's another famous incident with the same guy, a female visitor from Rome, a, a, a kind of wealthy, aristocratic woman from Rome came to visit Arsenius, came all the way out to the desert, found him, traveled hundreds of miles. He was in the de- desert in Egypt. She traveled hundreds of miles to find him, got there. And at first uh, he wouldn't see her, but then she managed to catch him when he was outside and it says, seeing him, she threw herself at his feet. Outraged, he lifted her up again and said, looking steadily at her, If you must see my face, here it is, look. She was covered with shame and did not look at his face. Then the old man said to her, have you not heard tell of my way of life? It ought to be respected. How dare you make such a journey? Do you not realize that you are a woman and cannot just go anywhere? Or is it so that on returning to Rome, you can say to other women, I have seen Arsenius. Then they will turn the sea into a thoroughfare with women coming to see me. But she promised, it's pretty confident in himself, right? But... She promised to tell no one and said, pray for me and remember me always. But Arsenius answered, I pray God remove all memory of you from my heart. (laughs) 
she quit the place, returned to the town and fell ill with fever. All right. Now, she was on the verge of death, actually, because of what he said to her. Uh, And guys, I don't recommend like breaking up with someone that way either, right? Okay, I pray that God will remove you from, blot you out, right? Okay, this was a guy that wanted to be alone. Now, this was a movement in the early church, but the problem was that if you do that in your life, if you pull away and you say, I'm just gonna be isolated, I'm just gonna follow Jesus, and it's just gonna be me and Jesus, everybody else, stay away. If you do that, you will not be able to follow Jesus as you're called to follow Jesus. And I think often, even when we come in to worship together, our temptation is to think, I'm just gonna worship and it's just gonna be just me here and just God. And I'm just gonna blot out the memory of everybody beside me. I won't look at them. I won't hear them. There may be a place. There is a place for solitude, right? Jesus himself at times sought out solitude. But there is also a place, a legitimate place for us to worship together, to come together and notice the people around me, to be with them, to see them, to hear them, to touch them, to be in the same room. I think one of the dangers that we really face in a very kind of online social media type of culture is that we begin to believe that if I'm having online interactions with people, that I really do have friends and that those really are true social relationships. But the truth is that as you look at the scripture, there's, there's a clear indication that we cannot really love other people uh, unless we love them bodily. And we'll talk about that more throughout the course of the weekend, but I cannot really know you and love you well unless I'm sitting in the same room sometimes, looking at your eyes, hearing your voice, able to interact. Philippians 1.20, Paul says, I pray that God will be honored in my body. And so I think that's one danger we face is we isolate ourselves, we pull away. I don't think anybody in this room is gonna go build themselves a pillar, right? And climb up to the top and be a hermit. Maybe during finals week or something, but probably not like the rest of the year. You're probably not gonna do that, right? Okay, but I do think we're tempted to pull away. I think the other thing this passage addresses when Paul talks about, look, if I do all these things, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. I think the other way we can isolate ourselves or hide is if we come to church and I'm guilty of this. You come to church and you get engaged in service and you say, I'm gonna help set up the chairs. I'm gonna help people do all of these different things. I'm gonna serve in every way. I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna lead. And yet we do it for ourselves instead of to serve the body of Christ. So my goal begins to be, I'm gonna exalt me. Look at my gifts, look at my abilities. Or it becomes a way to hide. I don't wanna talk to people, so I'm gonna go set up the chairs. And there's nothing wrong with setting up chairs, please. I hope some of you that do that keep doing it, right? But if it becomes an excuse not to look people in the eye, to care about them, to listen, to love them, then it doesn't do us any good. The whole reason, Paul is saying, the whole reason we serve, the whole reason we have gifts is so that we as a body of believers can love Jesus Christ. We can't do it alone as he's called us to do. And the great thing about the first century church, right after Jesus ascended into heaven, the great thing about them was what they were known for was their love for one another, how they gave to one another, how they took care of one another. That's what they were known for. And that's how people came to know Jesus. So we need relationships, not to meet our own needs, but to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul goes in the rest of 1 Corinthians 13 here. As he begins to talk about what does love look like? 
What does the love of Christ look like? Because I think the danger, again, is that uh, we begin to approach relationships from the standpoint of what can I get out of it? And what happens then is if we approach it that way, then that leads to all kinds of insecurity and anger and frustration with people, right? If I am coming to a relationship and I say, what I really want is for you to like me, right? Tell me my hair looks nice. Tell me my clothes are cool. Tell me that I'm a good speaker. Tell me that I am awesome in this area or that, or I can play basketball really well. If you tell me that, I'll know you're lying, right? (laughs) Tell me though, and be the kind of person that I need. And we approach relationships that, well, what happens when you don't do that? What happens when I serve and you don't applaud me? Well, a number of things could possibly happen. One, I get angry at you, right? It's your fault. Two, maybe I get insecure. I think, man, nobody likes me. And I begin to think about me. Uh, Maybe I do get prideful because you do applaud. And so as a result, I spend my days comparing myself to you. Instead of saying, you know, the purpose of my relationships, the reason I need them is because they transform my character into the character of Jesus Christ. And they allow us as men and women in the body of Christ to serve him and to reflect him. As, as a body. Some of you guys possibly have, um, probably girls more than guys, have a list of characteristics for the guy that you want to marry, right, someday. Some of you are like, yeah, I got it right here, right? You've got, you pull it out, okay. Okay, and, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Maybe it's, you know, it's a great list. Maybe you are looking for a man of God who is kind and who is wise and who is gentle and you've got these great characteristics. Uh, but I think the danger sometimes can be that uh, we approach relationships then as saying, I'm looking for you to be A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Instead of approaching the relationship and saying, how can I serve you? How can I love you as Jesus Christ would? Uh, I had a friend in high school, and this guy wasn't a Christian, but literally he had a list of physical characteristics that he wanted his girlfriend to have, all right? And uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was, it, was, it was long and it was detailed and it included even um, that she could not walk like a duck, all right? And uh, that, I'm not making this up. And so uh, we, would, we would be like, okay, you know, why don't you ask this girl? I'd be like, hmm. I don't know, man. We're like, what's wrong? She's nice. She's beautiful. What's the deal? And he's, she's got the duck walk. And we were, I mean, every time, every time that you would find somebody that would be potential, if we would kind of knock down all his other objections, it came down to the duck walk thing, right? And the reason I think that was, was partly because he was just insecure. He didn't want to get shot down. And so instead of asking someone out, he, he had an excuse, right? But part of it was this. He was approaching the relationship to say, what can you bring to me? Can you be good enough for me? And again, there's a couple of problems. One, none of us is quite as good as we think we are. But on the other hand, each of us is significant, not because of what other people bring to the table, because of what Jesus has done. And so we have infinite value because Jesus died for us. And so that's why Paul says, the way you approach your relationships is with the character of Jesus Christ to reflect him. And what happens then is you find then that your relationships can be beneficial to you. They can be things that make you happy and joyful, but not because of what other people are giving you, but because you're able to reflect Jesus. And that brings you joy. Look quickly at this list of characteristics in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. 
Are you a person of patience? Uh, I struggle with this a lot. I'll tell you, I grew up in a house where uh, patience was not always modeled. I'll just be really honest with you guys. My dad, I love my dad. I respect my dad. He's a great man. uh, But impatience was kind of his Achilles heel. So as we're getting ready for church, it was always like, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Wake up, go, get to the table, go, right? And we'd all rush, we'd get our clothes on, we'd be there, we'd be here, everybody's nervous, right? And then he'd go, oh, I forgot something. He'd walk in the other room, you know, to go get it. And uh, what I find then is because that was the environment in which often I, I was, I find myself tempted to do that toward others as well, even toward my own kids. And, and sometimes I have to pull back and I have to go, no, wait a second, what, what's the hurry? We're eating dinner, so it takes us an extra five minutes. I don't think the earth is going to rotate off its axis, right? It's okay. And when I'm able to demonstrate patience, when I'm able to do it, what I demonstrate is that I care about you and not just about my schedule. I think patience also comes into play when we run into people who just, they really aren't what uh, they need to be. They have frustrating, annoying habits. They do or they say things that are inappropriate, inappropriate times. Impatience is the attitude that says, come on, get that out of your system. Grow up. Patience of Christ is the attitude instead that says, I'll pray for you. I'll wait and trust that God will transform you in his time. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is that attitude that says, I'm going to do Kind things for you, regardless of what you do back for me. Think about Titus 3, 3 through 5. It says, uh, we, it talks about all of the sin that we were in, but then it says, uh, but when uh, the love of Christ appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds we've done, but according to his mercy. Right? He washed us and made us clean. According to his mercy, that's his kindness. That's the kindness of God. That God gave his own son, Jesus Christ who died for people who really did not deserve it, did not earn it at all. And that's the kindness we're called to show to others. Am I kind to people? Am I nice to people just because I think I can get something back, right? I've seen this and probably done this in the past, but you see this often, you know, if a guy is interested in a girl or vice versa, it's like um, he might do extra things for her, right? He might suddenly decide that he wants to try to fix her car, even though he's never seen a car engine in his life, right? but I'm going to do that for you. Now, maybe he just wants to do something nice because he cares about her, but where's the line where it turns into manipulation? If I do this for you, you need to go out with me or at least think about liking me a little bit, right? On the other hand, I think girls can do it too. All of a sudden that guy just, he becomes the funniest person on the face of the earth, right? (laughs) We can hear you laughing from the dining hall into here, right? And he's standing tall and he's feeling great. And what's your hope? Well, if maybe if I say the right things, I laugh at the right moments, I do the right things, he'll compliment me. He'll somehow feed me back, right? Kindness says, I'm gonna give to you and I'm not gonna expect anything. Love is patient, love is kind. Love isn't envious or boastful. Those are really two sides of the same coin. I, desire, I don't desire to exalt myself, hopefully, at your expense. Envy says, I want what you have, so I'm gonna take it away, even if it hurts you, so I can have it. Boastfulness says, uh, I think I'm pretty good, so I'm gonna shove you back down. Not envious or boastful. 
All of us struggle with that, right? You look around the room. It was interesting, that Facebook study I looked at, actually, that was the other thing it said, was people who are on there a whole lot, they really struggle a lot with envy. They look at other people's lifestyles and everybody posts like their most fun pictures on there and they go, why does everybody always have fun all the time, right? And I don't. And so you struggle with this envy, right? I can remember being in college and I had a roommate who was significantly better than I was at engineering. And so uh, we would do a project and I would think mine was pretty good. And actually he went to seminary with me and this happened in seminary too. I would do a project and I would think that mine was pretty good. I know, isn't that funny how God does that to you? You know, that the person that often you struggle with this area will follow you through your life, you know? One of my best friends. But I would do a project and I would think, this looks pretty good. And I'd go, you know, what do you think about this? And he would show me his and I could just feel the single tear running down my face, right? <laughs> because his was always better. And I was like, man, I, I want to be able to do that. And some of you perhaps can relate to that, but love says, no, I don't want to take what you have. I want to rejoice that God made you smarter, more athletic, better with people that God made you a person who can reflect him in ways that I can't. And that's why I need you. That's why the body of Christ needs each other. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant or rude. In other words, it speaks kind words, not arrogant or rude ones. Most of you could probably remember a time in your life where somebody said something to you that was unkind or rude and it stuck with you for a long time. I'm just curious, just just kind of a little poll. How many of you would say there are things that people said to you in junior high that were unkind that you could still remember to this day. Okay, look at that. Okay, that's about 80% of the room. I can still remember things that people said to me very specifically. I can remember where I was standing. I don't remember a whole lot from junior high, but I can remember some of those things. Because if you say unkind or rude words, they will stick with a person for years sometimes. And what's interesting is I think sometimes we think we're being funny. And, and we may forget about it five minutes later and the other person, it just, it kills them. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make myself look better and funny at, at their expense, right? And that's not love. I knew a guy and uh, when we were living in Dallas, when Shannon and I were living in Dallas, we knew this couple that um, the guy would just constantly, he was constantly sarcastic toward his wife. I mean, imagine that you married the, the schoolyard bully who always made fun of your pants, right? Seriously, all right? Maybe that's just my experience, isn't it? Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> okay, imagine, imagine you married that person, all right? That's what this was like. And you would watch this woman and she would just, she would just wilt. And I thought, man, that's not love. If you love her, you speak kind words. If you don't have a kind word to say, just just bite your lip, cut out your tongue, do something, right? Love is not rude. Uh, Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not my way or the highway. Uh, We have a saying at A&M, right? Highway six runs both ways, right? And it's kind of one of those, like anytime I don't know what to say to your argument that you've kind of overwhelmed me, I go, highway six runs both ways, right? If you don't like what I'm saying, you just get on the road and leave, right? You can't do that, obviously, in real life relationships. It doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. I can't imagine that Jesus said that to his disciples. Instead, he exercises unbelievable patience with them. It's not a my way or the highway type thing. If you want to get married and you are a person that says it has to be my way, 
don't get married, all right? Because one day your spouse is gonna say, I thought we could uh, go to On the Border. And you're gonna say, we're going to Chili's, (laughs) right? And Highway 6 runs both ways, right? (laughs) And you're gonna have problems, right? Love doesn't insist upon its own way, right? Love is not angry or vengeful. Uh, It doesn't hold on to a wrong. Some of you, I would guess in here, you came in here tonight and there's something that uh, somebody said or did today or yesterday that you're still angry about. I would almost bet money on it. That you're sitting in here this evening and you're angry and you're holding on to a grudge and you're gonna go to bed tonight and if you don't deal with it before the Lord, you're gonna lie awake uh, dreaming up scenarios where you could you know, kill them without being caught, right? <laughs> you're trying to find a, a way for vengeance. But love says like Jesus did. I forgive. That means I release my claim upon you. I let God deal with any issues in your life. And I let it go. I trust him. Love is not angry or vengeful. doesn't rejoice in evil. It's not like that Nelson kid from the Simpsons, right? Says, ha ha, ha ha, right? Anytime something bad happens to another person. And yet uh, when we're envious and we don't really love other people, that happens to us. I can remember playing board games Uh, with a a friend who always, always beat me at board games. And one time I won. And before I could stop it out of my mouth, there was this ha sound that came out, right? Rejoicing at his misfortune. Uh, And we do it in in all kinds of ways. And you can imagine also, if you get married one day, how that can tear up the fabric of a marriage as well. You become competitive, you become rude, uh, you rejoice at the other person's misfortune and it tears the relationship apart, but it happens in friendships as well. And some of you have had it happen in friendships. And yet what God did for us in Jesus Christ, even though we had disobeyed him, even though we had rebelled against him, he doesn't rejoice that anybody's gonna perish, but he extends the grace and love of Jesus Christ to everybody. Love doesn't rejoice in evil. And then finally, love always hopes and endures. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, it never gives up, never gives up on a person. As Jesus told Peter, Peter says, how, how many times should we forgive? Seven? I mean, seven's pretty good. If somebody does the same thing to you seven times. That's pretty frustrating, right? So you think if I forgive him seven times, man, at that point I can show him the door. Jesus says what? 70 times seven. And he's not, that's not his way of saying, get out a little book and you know, mark out 490 times. It's his way of saying, you keep forgiving. You keep hoping. You keep praying. You never give up on a person because God does not give up on you. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing you do, nothing you say. That's the love with which Christ loves us. And so I share all of this to say this, that as we all came in here, I think all of us have fears and insecurities and worries about making friends, about romantic relationships. And again, I think often it's because we don't understand, first of all, the love of God in Jesus Christ and then how it applies to us. It may be that you're here this evening and you've never yet trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life. You don't know that you're going to go to spend eternity with him in his presence. And for you, the message for tonight is simply the love that is described here in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love that Jesus has for you. That he died, he took the sin, the punishment for your sin, for your disobedience, and he rose again. 
And sometimes our struggles in our relationships are because we don't understand that grace. So we really can't extend it to others. We don't initiate with other people because uh, we're too worried about ourselves and how we're gonna come across. We don't love others as we're called to. And even for those who know Jesus Christ, I think that's the case sometimes. And so we have messes in our relationships. But the good news is that the spirit of God lives in you if you know him. And he empowers you to live like Jesus Christ. And so you can reflect him in your relationships. You can have relationships of peace and true love where you serve and you're patient and you're kind. And and you want the best for the other person because you know that their best is your best. You're part of the same body, right? So to hurt that person is to chop off my own arm. That's crazy. And so in Jesus Christ, though, there is hope that even those of you who are here this, this evening and you feel like, man, I'm just a mess relation. I came from a crazy family. Uh, I've had some terrible romantic relationships in the past. I've, I've totally screwed up. I've taken advantage of people. People have taken advantage of me. I'm, I'm angry. I'm prideful. I alienate people around me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in here and you feel that way. Now, the message for you is that there is grace in Jesus Christ and forgiveness and a new start. And that's, that's where we're gonna go throughout the course of this weekend is how can we pursue relationships now? Starting over, turning over a new leaf now. How do we pursue relationships that honor Jesus Christ? My wife, Shannon, is gonna come up and just kind of give a brief testimony of how God has worked in her life in this area of friendships and relationships uh, before we close. Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say one quick thing about my own roommate. Uh, he's great. <laughs> we are having no issues right now. <laughs> True. True. Um, <clears throat> At least not, not ones we're going to tell you about. Like, yeah, right we, we're not going to talk about those. Uh, no, for real. Matt's right. Um, I just wanted to share with you just a brief testimony from my own life and hopefully leave you with a word of encouragement and maybe just a little bit of perspective as I am um, older than you are, uh, but have been where you are right now. If you are feeling like your life, like Matt said, is a relational mess, I totally get that. In fact, I was thinking maybe we could make t-shirts and um, we could wear them on Tuesdays. It would be t-shirt Tuesday. It'll just say like, I'm a relational mess. We'll just, you know, huddle together. No, I'm teasing. We're not making t-shirts, but... um, I did want to say that I know, I know where you are. Um, I became a believer in college, and up to that point, I had no idea of what it would look like to um, have a relationship with Christ, to know him, to treat people in a way that was honoring to God or reflected that I knew him. And so when I did become a believer, in fact, I distinctly remember it was my freshman year, the spring of my freshman year, and the very first prayer that I ever prayed to the Lord was, will you please teach me how to be a friend? Isn't that cute? <laughs> little freshman, teach me how to be a friend. I mean, I wish I could just go back and just comfort that little Shani and be like, it's okay. Um, you'll learn. <laughs> God will teach you. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, as I look back even on different stages in my life and I see what God has done and where he has brought me now, boy, he has brought me through some really hard things, a lot of insecurity. And he's not done with me yet in that category either. Just a lot of friendship insecurities, a lot of family insecurities. Um, 
I actually even was engaged um, previously before I married Matt, um, and that guy broke up with me, and that was kind of a, a hard deal. He brought me through that. Um, he brought me through um, my family, like I said, having some difficulties there, and still um, with them as well. As I pray for them, they are not believers. So all that to say, guys and gals, God is faithful. Um, and the message that I really want to get across to you all today, and be happy to share with anybody else further if you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to uh, tell you more. But what I want to tell you tonight is really just my life first and leave you with a word of hope that even if you feel like you are a relational mess here tonight, um, God is faithful, he is good, and he is interested in not crushing you, but taking you one step at a time closer to his own image. And that is my life first. And since it is, I did memorize it. So I will tell you right now what it is. It's from 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's a beautiful verse, one of my favorites. Um, it says, we all, and I love the corporate aspect aspect of it. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory at a time to another. Okay. So don't be crushed tonight. If you feel like there's so many things in my life that are wrong, they don't all have to be right at one time. God wants to transform us one degree of glory at a time to another. Okay. Be blessed. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God, and and we see in you um, and in your son, Jesus, what it really looks like to love. And yet, uh, we each in this room know that we we don't do it well many times. We struggle with pride and selfishness and anger and insecurity and um, all kinds of things, Father, that don't come from um, the spirit, but come from the flesh. And yet we know that your spirit lives in us. And so we just pray that we would be dependent upon him, that he would transform us step by step, moment by moment, into the image of the glory of Jesus Christ. That we'll be like him. Father, you know that there are people in here that they came in and maybe even because of this topic, they came here because they're hurting There are people who have been rejected or abused. There are people people in here who have rejected and abused others. And Father, we pray that you would extend your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace and that you would restore us to you. Father, I pray for those who are here who may not have a saving faith in Jesus yet, that they would believe in, in Jesus this evening. God, we know you are good. We're excited about what you're gonna do this weekend in us and through us. And we pray that as we leave here, we would be a community of men and women at A&M and at Blinn and back in College Station who reflect the love of Jesus Christ with all that we say and do toward one another as your body. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.